0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Um, I, I imagine that a lot of people here are not on West Coast time, so it feels a little later to you than it does to me and Joel and <laughs> some of us who who uh, live out here. My name is Amy Bostoniger. I uh, I uh, live in Long Beach, California. I was a minister at the Manhattan Church of Christ in New York City for 20 years and uh, grew up here and now back in California and I'm a hospital chaplain and I'm here with four of my good friends who are all uh, preaching very regularly in Churches of Christ or churches that are closely connected to Churches of Christ, which is where a lot of us find ourselves in that space. either in the Church of Christ or the little bit broader world that's with significant connections. So um, we just wanted to come together and uh, testify to the fact that God is um, working and uh, calling women in really powerful ways that we can't deny. And we represent a lot of people. A lot of people actually today and a lot of women that have come before us. Um, I heard once that every generation of feminists thinks they're the first. <laughs> but they're not. And we've had women preaching in the Restoration Movement since the beginning. And also in the church since the beginning. So it's two different times. So make yourselves at home. Sorry that that's standing room only. We need to tell them they've got to give us a bigger room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we do have a couple of chairs down here.
0: Yeah, raise your hand if you have an empty seat next to you. <coughs> Lots of hands coming up. Um, Yeah. You can sit on the floor. We won't be offended. Let's open with a prayer. Gracious and eternal God, we believe that you called us here today. And we believe that you're with us. And we believe that your spirit is working in us, in our hearts and in our minds, and in our, um, in our bodies, and in our relationships, and even in our churches, in our schools, and in our neighborhoods, and in our world. So I pray that you'll show us why we're here today, each of us individually, that you will let us know what we need to hear. And I pray that seeds will be planted, and that uh, amazing things will come. Bless us now, in Jesus' name. So we're just going to go through and um, let each of you introduce yourselves uh, briefly and say, tell us a tiny bit about your background and what your current role is. Oh, another chair hidden over there. Here. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. Hold on to
2: chairs, me... Who wants to start?
0: Jump in. Sure. What was the Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> A little, like <laughs> briefly, <laughs> your background and your current role. Okay.
2: Hi, I'm Sherelle Russell, and I am the pastor with New Heritage Fellowship Church in Fairview, Texas. And my husband Tim is back there. We have three kids Wait, raise together. Raise your hand. Tim. still. <laughs> <laughs> We have three kids, One, uh, two in college, and one's about to graduate college, and another's about to graduate high school. And I just completed my doctor, uh, doctorate in ministry, uh, spiritual and missional formation actually from Lipscomb University. And so on Thursday, tomorrow, I'll fly to Nashville and graduate
1: on Saturday. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, Candace Nichols, and I um, did my master's degree at Abilene Christian University. I worked for 10 years as an associate minister at Minter Lane in Abilene, and I have been at the Brookline Church of Christ in Brookline, Massachusetts for five years. I'm the senior minister at the Brookline Church of Christ, so, and that's,
3: I think, cool. I'm Jess Lowry. I am the pastoral leader and executive director of Sunset Ridge Church of Christ and Caris Collective. Um, Cares Collective is Sunset Ridge's missional expression, so missional hub, um, and I get to do that work. I have a master's in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary. I have three beautiful children, um, 15, 13, and 6, and um, yeah, that's about it. I've been on staff at Sunset Ridge for 10 years now. She's got some people here, (laughs)
4: right? (laughs) People I'm Tiffany Dahlman and I'm in North Carolina. I grew up in St. Louis, but the military brought us to Fort Bragg area in North Carolina about 20 well in 2000, Haven't left. I did my MDIV work at Asbury Theological Seminary with the Methodists for a while. And I finished my doctor, well, and, and that was in um, concentration in Old Testament. And then I did my doctor of ministry at ACU. I'm also the program director for acu dallas's bible and ministry program but my other uh beloved calling and job is a lead uh, preaching minister at courtyard church of christ in fayetteville north carolina
0: and i'm going to go back on what i just told you guys and i'm going to ask what a typical week is like <laughs> <laughs> who wants to do it? we're not going to go in any sort of order so just if you feel like talking jump in Tiffany doesn't, she doesn't want to be first every time. She's, she's next to me. So
4: I'll go this time. I so, well, I have four children at home. Three boys are here, um, scattered around. Uh, so being mom is, is number one. And I do what I can to make sure nothing interferes with that number one slot of caring for them until they're gone. Uh, but I do reach out. with a smaller church, about 70 people. Typically, 40, 50 show up on any given Sunday. You all know how that is. So. Uh, I try to reach out to at least three-quarters of them, one-on-one, every week, either through brunch or phone calls, some of the, we have a large international community, WhatsApp's big on on that for them, so uh, we do that, and then just normal pastoral care stuff, who's sick, who needs a meal, organizing that, taking care of moms with new babies, driving people around, sometimes I'm mowing the church lawn if the person who's supposed to do it didn't do their part that week. And I see it's long on Saturday, miscellaneous things. Um, I don't preach every Sunday. We have an open or shared pulpit, uh, but I train others to preach in that space. But I do lead, teach the uh, adult Sunday school class every Sunday, so I'm preparing that. And I make sure the order of worship is out by Tuesday at noon every week, uh, kind of just the liturgy for the week. Um, and the song leaders choose the songs, and you know all that stuff. But but the flow of the worship and the theme is set, then.
3: Um, my answer is so many meetings. Like, <laughs> so many meetings. Um, with the projects that we have, we're converting a one-acre parking lot into a community park. Um, We have a 30,000 square foot facility that we're trying to use every day of the week for the good of the community. Um, Our church has a very big vision, and so that requires a lot of meetings, contractors, congregational experts. Um, I try to make myself available to our neighborhood through our coffee trailer. Um, We have this adorable little coffee trailer um, that has been this really beautiful place of community connection. Um, I get to work with the most incredible staff um, organizing two worship services every week. I also don't preach every week. Um, we have um, a supper church once a month and outdoor worship once a month. So we kind of um, also shared pulpit. So we kind of have some really interesting ways that and creative ways we're worshiping God in our community. Um, as I said, three kids. Um, I have I practice Sabbath every Saturday, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and I practice a deep work Thursday every week where I do liturgy writing, sermon preparation, um, you know, things that I don't know if, you know, y'all probably know about, but just like social media content writing and newsletter writing and a lot of writing time. So
1: um, yeah, that's my my normal week. Um, my I am the, the sole staff person at my church. Mm-hmm. So uh, mine often looks like Sometimes I'm mowing the lawn and sometimes um, I'm not, which is nice too, but the sermon prep, um, that's, a, that's a big one. I read a lot, which is nice. Um, I plan all of the worship, so the whole thing I put together and you find the people who are going to participate. Uh, we do an evening prayer service. I'm also heavily involved in the Brookline community, the wider Brookline community. I'm the co- one of the co-conveners of the Brookline Interfaith Clergy Group. And so we meet regularly and, and do um, joint activities, which is, which is a good thing. And then um, pastoral check-in. I've, I probably spend most of my time doing that. Um, as I will talk about in my 10 o'clock class, I, I, have, a, I have a hybrid congregation so many of my church members don't even live in my state. And so I spend a lot of time emailing and texting and phone calls and, and then for the people who are local, you know, visits and uh, meals with people, and I'm thankful to have a schedule that allows me to do that.
2: And mine is very similar to um, Tiffany's and Candice's. I'll just mention, in addition to those things, uh, getting ready for Sunday and preparing for worship gathering, uh, two of my favorite things in the week are on Wednesday nights there's a group of folks from our church that have a theology salon. And it's a great space for me as a leader to get to come in and be myself and we talk about all those questions that sometimes as a pastor or a leader you're kind of afraid to say, what do you think about this? and So we just wonder out loud together and ask a lot of challenging questions. And I really appreciate that opportunity just to be completely vulnerable and honest with um, other people from our church and know I'm not gonna get fired. (laughs) Um, And then on Fridays, we have a partnership with a senior, a memory care facility, and we do a, a Bible study and hymn fest. And we go and sing with these seniors at Veteran memory care, all the the old hymns. So I've had to really like get my voice going again and remember the old songs and um, that's just one of my the highlights of my week. Just sometimes closing my eyes and hearing this group of folks a lot of times with tears running down their face um, making a connection to something. They might not even remember what they're doing there but once we start some of those old songs they know every word and every note, and I love that time. Wow.
4: Let's
0: talk a little bit about um, joys and challenges. What what
2: what do you love the most? What's the hardest? I'll say. One of my joys is so our church has a lot of folks that are have experienced spiritual or church trauma, and so our church might be the last of opportunity or the chance or that they give a church to be a good fit for them and there's a very slow entry as many of you know if you've been through trauma or you are at a church where you lead and people have been through spiritual trauma it takes time to gain trust and to establish relationship and um, and so when somebody has that slow build and then they feel like this is their home this is their community that's really rewarding, um, and but it takes patience, and you know it's not like you just come and plug in and get started and have your name on the sign-up sheet. But when the name is on the sign-up sheet, it feels like a huge deal. Um, and then challenges are just—I love thinking of what we do as a transformation journey that we're on together, and it is really difficult. Because we're not with each other that often as opposed to what we're all watching on TV and reading throughout the week, right? So it just feels like the skills are, in terms of the influence and the amount of time, um, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? (laughs) I don't think I explained that
4: well. No. Yeah, my reward is the same, Sherelle, because there's so many who come in in, in my pocket of the country, there's not a Church of Christ on every corner. There's very, very few. And the others in the town are King James-only type Churches of Christ. God love them. That's how it is. And so we will get many who haven't been in a Church of Christ in many, many years because... It's still in their mind, I have to be in a church of Christ to be right, but I can't be in that church of Christ, so I just won't go anywhere. That's the best thing to do. Um, but when they come into courtyard, it is that slow process. Or some who are coming from much more um, fundamentalist type churches. But you know, just last week there was a family who's been with us, I mean, often on probably three years, but just then the husband in that family said, I feel safe in church again for the first time in many years. And that you know, nurturing a space like that for a community to rest and heal and just kind of be mothered and in, into safety with
3: Jesus is that is the absolute most rewarding part. Of it. That word nurture, I think mm-hmm. is a big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to jump in because mine is also the same and it's a little bit moving to think about God, you know, using, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. I have so many stories of people in the neighborhood around the church who say, um, they were hurt by the Big seed Church. These are seminary students, these are um, men in their 60s who grew up, as, you know, pastors, kid type of people, and they say, I'm happy to have a cup of coffee with you, but I will never mm-hmm. enter into that church building. And I'm like, that's perfectly okay. Um, and, and somehow, like Cheryl described, they enter into community, sometimes into the church, sometimes just into some other point of entry that we have. But um, the overwhelming response is, I feel safe and loved here. And and that is really, really significant for people and very rewarding um, for sure.
1: I, yeah, I think mine is, is similar as well. Um, and for me, personally, the the most rewarding part is being invited into people's lives in a way that um, is sacred. It's Mm -hmm. sacred to be invited into those spaces of good and bad, of joy and sorrow. And I find that so humbling and rewarding to be able to do that. And um, some of my challenges, though, are sort of related to my own, I guess, trauma of, you know, this is completely different than what everybody else has said. But, you know, on a Sunday morning, if we have a visitor, I find myself slightly anxious oh, yeah. that they're going to get up and walk out. They do get up and walk out. They do. They, it's happened. And I, and I hate that that is my first impulse when I see someone that I don't know in my building. I, I, I hate that, I have to, that that's one of my first thoughts is, are, are they safe? Like, are they a safe person for me? Yeah. And I, and I, yeah. that's a challenge. Yeah. And I think it'll go on forever. All right. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure right. how you recover from that. Because it's in you. It's in me. It's in you. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Powerful.
0: Um, let's talk about what are, what are some important practices, um, for you as a pastor and, um, And how do those practices impact your work, your communities?
3: I'll start with that one um, because I I said that my greatest challenge is finding a way to balance vocation and family um, and understanding that I'm loved regardless of anything that I do. And so um, I actually, my most important practice is Sabbath. Um, I had a sabbatical back in October, and I hired a rest coach, which my husband thinks is hysterical, <laughs> that I have a rest coach, and a spiritual director, and a therapist, and a, I've got a whole team of, of people that help, And um, but this rest coach, I went in, um, I'm an Enneagram eight, so went in like a good eight, like tell me how to do this, I'm gonna do sabbatical, Like and yeah like like I got I got some weeks let's maximize them (laughs) and um and she said you know I think we might need to look at sustainable rhythms of rest in your life I was like yeah that sounds great but and 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 what what has come out of that is sabbath like sabbath is so sacred to me and to my family um We do every Saturday, um, mostly unplugged from technology. And um, because of the coaching I've gone through, I've been able to coach my family on what are the different types of rest that we need, um, how do we respond to those needs. And then on Friday night, everybody kind of gets to choose, like, what rest practices are you going to do tomorrow? Um, So that and centering prayer, that's my other one. If I practice centering prayer consistently, I am more patient, more um, just attuned to God's heart and will for my life and and for the people around me. So those are my two.
2: I'll say listening um, is a practice that I try to be very intentional about, but then reflecting has become a big thing for us at at church and also personally, just reflecting on all the things that we're hearing out loud together, And then one other thing that I really uh, need and appreciate is walking, so doing a lot of walking in our neighborhood. And I want to start walking around where our church meets. We meet in a shopping center, and I am anxious to start walking around there too, but walking is—and I walk with Tim a lot, so he gets to be um, (laughs) my—you know how it is, You talk about all the things on a walk, and so those have been good things.
1: For me, um, lectio divina actually has become a, a really important practice for me. We follow the lectionary, um, so my my first step uh, is, I, and also I have a I have a, as a special my special nerdiness is fountain pens and inks and paper <laughs> and various things. So I write out the week's scriptures. At the beginning of the week, and that's—it's a form of meditation for me. And I spend the week really meditating on those texts. And for me, it's—it's it's transformative for me, right? I'm transformed by scripture, by text, um, and I think it's beneficial to my congregation. Um, in my sermons, I think I'm—it's—it's it's, my sermons are are based on that, right, mm-hmm. that practice of, yeah. of really dwelling in Scripture. For me, so. mm-hmm.
4: yeah. You all took that a little bit different direction than should I change? What I... <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. 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 I, I A couple of things, I, ministry can be lonely especially mm-hmm. if you're a, a pulpit minister and, and you can be very very close to people in your church but they being your best friends isn't the best practice mm-hmm. necessarily. I'm in a highly transient congregation because it's a highly transient town. It's a military town. So people are in and they're out. Um, that, that's probably the biggest challenge, too, is keeping up the morale in the congregation mm-hmm. when people you love are constantly leaving and um, you, and God always sends new people, but maybe not right away. So it's just it's this all the mm-hmm. time. And in maintaining a morale that is steady and, and positive and hopeful mm-hmm. can be hard. Mm-hmm. But nurturing spiritual friendship mm-hmm. with other women who don't even necessarily live near me, but taking time to go away with, with these friends, and, and I am gonna I'm gonna talk to Amy today. That sermon's not gonna get finished, but I need to foster friendship, because that is important. Um, to make sure that I'm taking the time to nurture friendship outside of the congregation mitigates the loneliness, and it just helps me remember I'm a human being. I'm, I'm a person in need of companionship. So that, that's been really, really, Really important for me. And the second thing is releasing. Um, you said listening, but but releasing, releasing. Courtyard is a church plant. And um, there's a phenomenon called uh, founder syndrome that happens sometimes in church plants where you see the community begins to gather around the planter the, the founder. Not a good thing, you, you don't want that to happen. Um, we saw symptoms of that kind of early on. For If I went out of town, attendance would be a quarter of the people that would normally be, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Danger, 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 red flag. So I stepped way, 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 way back um, and really began training people for other things. And so I just have gradually released, released, released mm-hmm. so that I am not necessary. That's my goal is to not be necessary there. And that's been really healthy for me personally. So the last prepared
0: question that I have and then we'll have a little bit of time for you guys to ask questions is um, we've all had little girls come up to us or teenage girls come up to us and talk to us or ask us about <coughs> noticing that it's a, a woman who's preaching, who's leading. Um, what would you say to yourself as a little girl if you could go back to whatever age you choose and have a conversation with yourself? What What words of wisdom would you share?
2: Well, I grew up Catholic, so I'd probably say, it's okay, we're all priests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, But really, that is true and goes really deeply. That has taken on a new meaning for me in the last year because of my project for school. I did it on an egalitarian priesthood of all believers. Mm-hmm. and. It was really rewarding to dig into that. Um, what does it mean to be a priesthood of all believers? Um, and I think that would have would have been something that I would have hung on to when I was young. I knew a lot. I knew very early on that I wanted to be a spiritual companion and leader in the church. And so, um, and now it means even more to me that we that I get to be in a place. Where we're nurturing each other to be a priesthood of all believers that cares about the flourishing of one another and the flourishing of our community. So I would say that, and it would
4: have a layered meaning. We just had a family leave. He was a commander at the 82nd. Um, so they were not there very long at all, just a couple of years. But they had a little girl, she was eight years old. And they never, their church of Christ, born and raised. And, uh, <laughs> they'd never been in a fully egalitarian church space before and their daughter did everything. If mom was preaching she would stand there with her. If dad was leading singing she was there with them. She would hold the communion tray for communion. She was leading prayers. She was reading scriptures at eight and nine years old in in that time frame. and um, They had to move to Fort Campbell, Kentucky and probably were not going to be able to go back into an egalitarian space where their daughter would have that not only visual exposure but opportunity to do all the things that she was able to do and so when she left i put together this collage for her of pictures of me baptizing people and her mom preaching a sermon and her leading communion and it was you know all these women and it had the verse from psalms on the bottom the lord announces the word and the women who proclaim it are a mighty Throng, but one translation said army. I'm like, this girl has no idea what throng is, but she knows the army. <laughs> so, the Women who proclaim it are a mighty army. I went with that one because um, she understood that. But that was at the bottom, and just gifted that to her to hang on her wall. Like, like this is normative. Mm-hmm. This, this is ancient, and this is normative. And I think that's probably what I would tell myself. Mm-hmm.
3: I'll go, but I'm going to read right from here because I'm, I'm tearing up listening. So I'm trying to. Um, I think this question was really special to me as I raise a little girl who I think is back there somewhere. You can
4: bring in the hallway. Oh, <laughs> perfect.
3: Perfect. Um, you are enough and you are not too much. Someday you will find people who love you for exactly how God made you. And so many of those people are in the rooms. It's really moving. Um, Those people won't try to fit you into a box. Um, You are worthy of love no matter what you do or accomplish. Um, And when I was a little girl, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I spent all of my time in the woods. Like every spare moment I had, I was in the woods. And so um, just that nature will always be your deepest connection to God, the place you feel safest, where you'll recenter, and where your soul will find rest. Um, don't lose your imagination, your sense of wonder, and enchantment for God's created world is cr- truly magical. So, yeah, just don't take things too seriously. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think I would tell myself as a little girl to, to trust that impulse, that yep. calling, yep. and to explore it with curiosity and not try to explain it away mm-hmm. which i did for a very long time mm-hmm. yeah. and i think that is the message that i wish that i that i had heard yeah um, yeah trust trust that explore it for yourself and don't try to explain it away yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what i would have said to myself too like notice it notice this calling because i was like there's something i want to do but have no idea what it is (laughs) and it took years and years and years and I was like do I want to do I want to teach but really I just want to talk to the students about their life do I want to work for the YMCA, but really, I just want to talk to the kids about their lives. <laughs> Don't want to be a bus driver. Maybe I could talk to the kids about. Their lives. <laughs> and then I was like, one day I'm like, oh crap, that's ministry. I've <laughs> yeah, seen it my whole life, but no one who ever looked like me. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. What questions do you guys have? We have twelve minutes or so. Yeah.
2: I got a question. Um, how did you each deal with um, when you initially got into the ministry about having to kind of go up against the traditional role of no women can't speak up at the pulpit
4: how do you be able to approach that to be able to find that
0: so so for the recording the question is when you came or come up against people who say women can't do this how do you handle that, and how, how, how did you handle that originally and maybe continue to?
1: I was in a
2: very—our um, our church is very interesting. There's, there was already a lot of work that had been done before I got there in terms of who has power and has access to the places of authority. Those had already begun breaking down significantly. And so I went in expecting to have to do that and you know, throw some elbows and then I and then I didn't. I was just accepted and given agency and it was incredibly surprising and wonderful just to be trusted and that I just got to go and start doing my job and not have to go in ready to fight. I just got to go in and start pastoring and learning to walk with people. Um, and I w- hope that, that would be great for all uh, people that start a new job at a church, but especially for us women. It's really hard to start your job and have to fight. You know what I mean? Um, I wish we didn't have to do that. None of us went into this because we like to fight.
4: No. no. <laughs> I think that's a good point, too, Cheryl, changing the subject a little bit. But there, there are churches who will say, yes, we are ready to hire a woman. But they're not. You think you are. Some may be. But the reality of that for a woman going into that space is, is different. So I mean, I think that's an invitation to discern, are, are you really ready
1: for that? I, I I approach it with compassion, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I was at a at a church for 10 years that only at the very end did was I finally invited to preach. Um, but I had deep relationships with people who disagreed with me, and, and I understood where they were coming from, and I, and I tried to approach that with compassion, if that makes sense, um, and not... Does that make sense? I yeah. don't know. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. relationship to me is one of those key things that is, <clears throat> is gonna overcome other things, right? You, you have to be genuine in relationship with somebody before it can even ever come to, to, to any change in yeah. that yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah and and um, I would say the same for me I was the children's minister yeah. at Sunset Ridge first then became the family minister and now am in my current role and I think I was on staff six or seven years before I preached so I knew mm-hmm. the congregation well the you know the leadership knew me well. Um, and actually called out that in me um, more than I was kind of like, oh yeah, I know this is the thing I'm supposed to do. Um, there's a man sitting a couple rows back who was very um, influential in making that happen, and and came um, to the place where you started of standing on the shoulders of the women who had gone before. They had been years, you know, in making that happen. So.
4: Yeah.
1: Um how how do you do you have tips for how you navigate um, ministry boundaries for yourselves as leaders?
0: Tips for how to navigate ministry boundaries. I'm terrible with that.
3: (laughs) 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 And I mentioned therapy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Tip
0: number one. What
4: is a boundary? <laughs>
3: yeah. a I mean, I, I I will
0: say that. I mean, I joke about therapy, but I, I really think you have to like come to a place. Um, you have to grow in your ability to reflect on your own actions and realize how in some areas you're doing things where you're actually harming yourself and harming other people because you don't want to say no, No. or because you think it's going to be selfish or too much self-interest and, um, yeah. And, and, and boundaries are not uh, selfishness. Boundaries are good stewardship. And so I think really, but it, it does take some, some quiet and it takes, um, someone with wisdom to sit with you and say, "So it sounds to me like you're you're you don't have any boundaries in this area," and then
4: you're like, "No, I do. I'm
0: fine." <laughs> and then a little later, you're like, "Oh yeah, you're right." I you start to notice it.
4: We yeah, did, I, I'm
3: sorry.
4: We did make that language <clears throat> more prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, you are talking about boundaries in like mm-hmm. We talked about Genesis one you know, within these boundaries, God gathers together land so there can be life. It's in Mm -hmm. the boundary that life can be abundant. Mm -hmm. And I've taught that and taught that and taught that. So I did become much more able to say, I'm exercising healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. I have to say, no, remember boundaries create life. I need to do that right now. Uh, But it's not my
3: strongest. Because the cost of not having them is too high. high, I think that's how we all probably learn them is the hard way, right? Either our health suffers, our family suffers, our marriage suffers, our church suffers, you know. Um, So that, yeah, life-giving.
2: my job before pastor was a social services worker so I learned to put boundaries there <laughs> yeah because otherwise I mean I came home so many nights after working in crisis mode and was just emotionally exhausted so I think that was a good precursor to pastoring
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah and we're watching how many of us are burned out how many people in ministry and we don't want we don't want that yeah. Ourselves. Yeah. Did you have a question? I yeah. did. Um, thinking about women that have grown up or are still in spaces that do not uh, that are not egalitarian, and thinking about practice hours and knowing that there's something if they want to develop this skill of preaching, if you guys have any advice for how to develop mm-hmm. that specific skill set?
4: Yeah, I mean, my doctor is in preaching, in preaching is a different genre than anything else. You're gonna do even teaching that Sunday morning class. Preaching is different. Preaching is, the spirit, goosebumps all over. It's it's a, it's a spiritual experience, right? Um, and at Courtyard with that shared pulpit, open pulpit space, there's people who are preaching who've never preached before, but I've kind of mentored them through that, and it'll be as effective as a sermon as anything I would ever have preached. Yeah. So looking really hard to find space where you can actually engage or be under the mentorship of someone who's preaching. I, I think some people think oh if I do um, toastmasters or mm-hmm. I work on public speaking like like it'll train you for preaching but it's really a different thing. Uh, you can have a good speaker who doesn't have that resurrection hope right How, how do you mentor that? you know I mean it's you know, really getting under someone who is a true, anointed preacher um, and even in their living room or at the park but but learning that from the spiritual formation to the articulation the whole process with someone I think is the best you can do. Mm-hmm.
2: I feel a little bit differently just because we have at we also have shared preaching yeah. and anyone is invited to preach and we just say start small so yeah. accessibility is important and we do a practice called dwelling in the word so if someone's interested they might start with dwelling in the word because it's scripted and it's easy to just do that and then they might move to a communion reflection and we say just talk about what you love about communion and then if they move into sharing a message we'll just sit and work through starting out very simple a lot of times i think just getting started is really intimidating to folks Um, But the storytelling element, I think, is really important, and so I try to encourage them, where have you seen God at work in your life? Where have you seen God at work here at New Heritage? And then those messages end up being really encouraging to our whole church, especially when it's a strengths building thing, and we get to see and hear what God is doing, and everyone gets to experience that. So... You know, I don't know if it's always. Although I love those sermons, like Tiffany is a great preacher. Um, sometimes it's just someone sharing a story of what they've seen God do, and the Spirit is sufficient to work through. You know, to work the the rest out. Before the
0: pandemic, I was um, I, I had a few groups that met on Zoom um, before the pandemic, um, where I. I had gathered together women who were in, in exactly that situation they're like my church may start having women preach and, and the way I, I invited them was if your church is wanting to have women preach and you want to be in a position to say yes I'll do it um, let's get and we met for six weeks and went through a curriculum that I developed mm-hmm. and I, I, I may do it again sometime um, because I I do think that I hear it over and over and over, like, well, we want to invite women to preach, but no one wants to do it. And I don't know if you guys know the old uh, Jerry Seinfeld joke that people are so afraid of public speaking that um, at a funeral, they would rather be the one that's dead than the one doing the funeral. (laughs) So, you know, we're like... I don't know, can women preach, can women speak, you know, we, we like wrestle over it for years and years and years, and we're like, yes, God says you can, who wants to do it, and everyone's
4: like, no, not. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. and they like, see, women don't want to preach see, anyway. See, they don't want to preach, we they're can't find anyone. But there's all yeah. this psychological yeah. It's, it's really. trying to work It's scary, like you know, and
0: so what Tiffany's doing in her congregation, what uh, Sherelle's doing, where they're really, you know, empowering their congregation to preach everyone, like, that's awesome. But if you're not at a church like that, then um, yeah, we can talk to me. We can, come to, we can get some groups together on Zoom and just talk about where do you start? And what are some things, you know, because I do believe ultimately preaching is testimony. Like that's kind of one of my basic, and we all have a testimony. and. And we have a testimony, like our big testimony, and we have daily testimonies. And so just learning how to, you know, put that into words in that space. Yeah. And yeah. Let's see. Yes.
2: Um, kind of going back to boundaries, um, I'm a children's minister in Texas. Um, but our ministry staff is reading um, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Peter Spizarro. Mm-hmm. And in there, he says, um, he takes a Sabbath every week. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, if anybody calls or texts or anything on that day, I know you're busy, I'm sorry, but he says, I'm not busy, I'm just limited. That's (laughs) good. That's good.
0: good. We have time for one more question. Matt? Uh, What Tiffany said about Toastmasters, which needs to be resurrection hope, I affirm that sometimes... If they have the resurrection hope and they're scared to death of public speaking, one of the things we can do is give them some stair steps mm-hmm. to get used to being up front mm-hmm. and so we can help release that resurrection hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and if you have if your church will allow women to do communion meditations. Yes. Mm-hmm. In a lot of denominations, yes. sermons are seven minutes. I mean it's pretty there's a fine line. So <laughs> 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 sure. Yeah, our, our Episcopal friends—they're not—they're not preaching for a half hour. <laughs> okay, one more, one more question. Yeah, I don't want to open a can of worms. Do you? <laughs> well, we only—we only have <laughs> three. It <laughs> <laughs> can only be so bad. Um, do any of you have a um, board of elders that you have to do, um, that you work under or work with?
4: What I have a class on that at ten AM. <laughs> <on it. laughs> class at ten AM on that. So have a relationship on professors and elders.
2: Yeah. I'm on the shep- we have a shepherding team and I'm on the shepherding team. I'm
4: on it. Mm-hmm.
0: So you don't have to you guys collaborate. You don't have to report. Yeah. Machine.
4: Right. Right. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I have a steering committee, and it's very collaborative. I'm, I'm not on the steering committee, but I meet with the steering committee every time, just about every time they meet.
3: We've had a collaborative eldership model at Sunset Ridge, and actually just uh, right now are shifting to a board of trustees, who I will, who I will report to, you, and then a board of shepherds who will care for the flock. Um, both are egalitarian. Um, and so all of our leadership is now egalitarian at Sunset Ridge Church of Christ.
0: Yeah. Okay. So as we wrap up, two quick things I want to say. Um, we have a fantastic Facebook group, uh, community of women ministers. So if you are, raise your hand if you're in it. So if you are in ministry, um, not, and, and, and not you're,
1: necessarily preaching ministry. No, like, no, if in, any in, con, in,
0: and, and the language is if you are in ministry, which is loosely defined, and um, have a significant connection to the Church of Christ because I have so many women that say to me Well, I'm not really in ministry, but I want to be I'm not really in the Church of Christ But I you know, I bet I am So both of us. what you say because I've had to and leave. had to leave yeah. chosen to leave I mean, we've got yeah, but it's a it's a great group. So it is it is only women in that group um, Talk to me it's it's the name again community of women ministers Um, So if you become my friend on Facebook, then I can add you to the group, send me a message. We also have a luncheon today, and that is open to everyone. So it's for women in ministry and those who love them. Um, I don't remember where it is, but it's at noon today. So look in your program and join us for that. Um, And I hope this has been a little window. Uh, Tiffany said that people are being mothered into the safety of Jesus. That's a good way to close. Amen. And so now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here.